Hey, it's Alex, and I want to take this opportunity to invite you to our Call to Build conference, February 8th to 10th in Peterborough, Ontario. We're going to have Pastor Jacob Rayom, Pastor Aaron Rock, Pastor Nate Wright, Pastor Ben, yours truly, and uh, we're going to be thinking through what it means to build as Christians, what our role is as fathers, husbands, mothers, brothers, sisters, all of that, building Christians, homes, families, schools, churches, businesses. So we hope that you can make it. We'll include a link below. You can register, bring your wife, and you'll save half the price. Hope to see you there. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast. After a very long hiatus, it mm-hmm. seems. Yeah. We've been negligent in our podcasting duties. A sabbatical. Well, we'll call it a sabbatical. Yeah. yeah. I just, you know, you can only take so much of Alex's uh, bloviating that yeah. uh, I OD'd. Need, need some time left to cool off. <laughs> you make more money in your day job. <laughs> I make money in my day job. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm Jeremy, one of your hosts. I'm Alex. And uh, we got uh, ben, ben. the Benjaminite is yeah. back for, uh, I don't know, like your 12th. For fun and frivolities. 12th time on the podcast now, maybe? 12th? Oh, I don't know, lots. Maybe five or six. I stopped counting. It's just so glorious to yep. have you on. So. I just, I'm glad to be here. How are you doing? Doing great. Yeah? Yeah. Just um, love this time of year. Yeah. Despite the 10 degree abomination today. Yeah, but uh, it was great to see your uh, kids last night at the KCCS Christmas uh, pageant show. Mm-hmm. What yeah. Is it? Perf- yeah, man. It was a great uh, night. It was a very great night. And um, trying to remember one of the ones that uh, that uh, Asriel participated in, it was like, almost like a dramatized mm-hmm. reading. What was that? Yeah, I actually don't know the title of it. That's the first time I've seen them uh, perform. The, the Blood on the Doorstep yeah, one. Yeah, that was yeah. really good. Yeah, it was. Christine Rossetti. Oh, it was Christine Rossetti. Rossetti. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, that was a great night, and great to see your girls as well mm-hmm. participating in that, and mm-hmm. all the kids. So, yeah, what uh, what's going on? What are we doing here? Well, we thought being the the festive men that we are, the merry gentlemen <laughs> that we are, yeah, none of us are even wearing no, Christmas we're not, colors, we're not really, we? we're not really prepared. But I should we, have brought my uh, jingly Christmas jesters hat. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't have any, any yeah. of that. <laughs> well, we thought we would talk about Christmas. Yes. And uh, specifically, I mean, there's so much that we could say talking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ um, and the, you know, the traditions that have developed and and being aware of this event. But I thought we could talk as a springboard even, talking about the politics of Christmas. Um you know, and specifically the way that the scriptures speak about the nature of the incarnation as inherently political. And I, you know, 
what I what I don't mean is kind of Merry Christmas has been politicized. You know, it's it's almost a it's like a litmus test for some where where someone is at. You know, even recently, someone uh, in the store I walked in. Where was I? Anyways, some some shop, Sobeys grocery store. And and the lady said Merry Christmas, and it was very pleasant. And I remember someone at the hospital. The email they wrote me said, you know, Merry Christmas um, from Sunnybrook in Toronto. And I thought, whoa, I'm I'm surprised that someone says that. Like they don't know me, you know, they yeah. don't know. Um, but but what an indication of where we're at in the world, where it's like a loaded statement. Yeah, I was talking to uh, a young lad uh, yesterday. He goes to a high school high school here in town, and all of their Christmas music it's there's it's just Happy Holidays, yeah. Nothing about Christmas, and even Christmas break is just like it's called days off or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's not allowed to even bring it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah, it's not just a live and let live type of attitude. It's mm-hmm. an action. Yeah. They're actively Suppression. trying to suppress yeah. the, the meaning of it. Yeah. So, and in, in, on one hand, I'm not I'm not referring to kind of Canadian contemporary politics, um, but I would say the reaction that you have in our culture now to that statement reveals that Jesus Christ Himself and the incarnation and His entire life and death and Resurrection ascension is inherently political. That there's a there's an intuitive sense that this come that he comes with a set of um, uh, propositions, or that there's a burden of responsibility. Or there's there's just if we grant Merry Christmas and the reality that it stands for, then there's implications that flow from this. And mm-hmm. so there's a there's a different kind of reticence to someone saying Merry Christmas than there is to someone just saying like Shalom or. You know, like wh- whatever other holiday you want to celebrate, people can just say, "Oh, yeah, that's nice for you and not for me." And um, yeah, happy Hanukkah. Yeah, happy later, Hanukkah. Yeah. Whatever. It's like that's what you do, and that's fine. But I think that people recognize there's a there's a burden of responsibility that comes with Jesus Christ. And what I want to focus in on is that that's actually implicit. That's a biblical thing. That's not just us imposing our views in an unreasonable way on people, but that Jesus Christ makes certain claims um, on people and their lives that are unavoidable. And it's funny that Christians want to, in one sense, not politicize Jesus, uh, but even the pagans recognize, like Herod, that <laughs> there are political implications. Here. Yeah, like the the pagans know that Jesus Christ is a political person in one sense. So, but I just wanted to talk about that. So, before I do though, let me clarify what I mean by political because I think this is part of the the um, misunderstanding. Uh, politics. I mean, if you look up a definition, it means the act or science of governing. So we're just talking about governance, which is to say, we're talking about authority and rule. And rule. Yeah. We're talking about who's in charge. And when you think about it in these terms, um, in, in, in governing terms, then all of a sudden it opens up a door of biblical categories. So we, we think about Isaiah 9, which is a classic text around Christmas time, thinking about the incarnation of Jesus. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And it goes on to talk about he will, um, the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth 
and forevermore. So Isaiah knew that the the child who would be given, who would rescue his people from the plight that they were in because of their rebellion, um, the one who would establish the Davidic kingdom, uh, that the government would be upon his shoulders. That he would, in other words, that he would bear ultimate responsibility and possess ultimate authority over all rulers. And this is what you read in Daniel. And this is why John says in Revelation that Jesus is presently the ruler of the kings of earth. And so we when we when we talk about politics, we're not talking about like conservative, liberal, contemporary structures of governance or yeah. something. We're talking about governance and rule and authority in general. So in one sense, no, we don't mean politics like you mean, but in the other sense, yes, we mean over all of that. Um and so I mean Politics is unavoidable because governance and rule and authority are unavoidable. Yeah. Like they're either going to be explicitly and formally in place. You think about how a city is run, how a school is run, how a business is run, how a province, whatever, or even informally. We think about social hierarchies and in different social groups. There's there's going to be someone or something that we defer to. There's going to be someone that we ascribe authority to. Um, this is this is unavoidable. So there's no such thing as an apolitical existence, either as a family, as a citizen, as a church, whatever. To live in this world uh, is to live in a world where there is authority. It's just, it's either going to be rightly exercised and submitted to or wrongly, Mm. right? So um, I don't know what you guys think about that, but it's like, I think in Canada, especially, there's this kind of aversion to mentioning Jesus with politics. And a lot of that yeah. comes down to like a, 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 an anachronistic view of what politics means. I think people automatically jump to the idea that we as Christians are trying to accomplish our goals through the means that politicians try and accomplish yeah. their goals. Yes. Like they just say, oh, you say politics. Well, that's just one way of getting things done. And you're trying to get things done that way. Yes. Right. Rather than the way the Bible talks about, right. You know, changed hearts and yeah. repentance and that yes. sort of thing. So I think that's one thing people trip up on there. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Jesus didn't come to participate in the political system as such or to win with the strategies of politicians. I mean, we even see this with Pilate, right? And there's there's this moment um, where Jesus basically asserts that he has total authority mm-hmm. if he wanted to. Um, he, an army of you know angels could destroy everyone there. Like this is if he if he wanted to win that way, he could win that way. This isn't a, this isn't an issue of does he have authority or power, but he chooses to establish his rule in a way that actually. Um, highlights his identity as God. And this is a principle we see throughout Scripture, that that no, he didn't come to participate in the system or win with the strategies of politicians. That's absolutely true. Um, but he did come to establish his rule in a different way. So a couple texts, Luke's, Luke 22, 25, he says, the king of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader is the one who serves. So what Jesus isn't doing is is 
erasing all authority and rule. What he's doing is redefining it. He's saying that the way that they exercise their rule is not right. He says, for who is greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. It says in Matthew 23, 11, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So again, Jesus wasn't coming to do away with leadership and greatness and authority and rule, but he came to reestablish and ultimately embody as the archetype in himself what true authority and rule look like. He says those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so Jesus' humiliation, which begins with the incarnation, uh, was the establishing of his authority, not the canceling of it or the setting aside of it, which is exactly what Paul writes in Philippians 2. He talks about God, Jesus um, what being in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, and he was obedient to the point of death. But what is the result of this humiliation? Well, uh, God has therefore highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The incarnation is not God forever setting aside his authority. It is God reestablishing his authority over everything. And so if you view Jesus being born as a vulnerable child in the humiliated state that he was to um, to uh, you know a woman who is betrothed and in a in a stable and on the run kind of thing. If your takeaway from this is that well God's not interested in authority. You know God is just interested in being meek and mild and lowly and 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 getting away from all that. You miss the entire point. The what what the point of him humiliating himself is to demonstrate his worthiness as the one who bears ultimate responsibility, whose governance is, the governance is upon his shoulders. He's saying that only that guy is worthy to be the king. That guy is the one who's worthy to um, have ultimate authority, right? And so there's, there needs to be a, a radical shift in our understanding about the nature of authority, the nature of rule, the nature of governance. And I think we tend to think about it in anachronistic ways. We say, well, Jesus didn't come to be the prime minister, or he didn't come to be the president. It's like, no, but he did come to be the king. <laughs> he did come to sit on David's throne. <laughs> yeah, exactly, which is a little bit more important than yeah. that, right? Um, did you uh, want to say anything? I affirm all of that. Okay. Yeah. Good. Well, I uh, something was uh, something was tickling my brain there as you were talking. It's it's just we've we've set the political realm aside as its own thing mm -hmm. and somehow have separated it from the Lordship of Christ. Mm -hmm. But God's Lordship over how we conduct our affairs as a society uh, is real. And, and mm -hmm. uh, as a result of him ruling over all of creation, which he has made, they would just naturally, it would naturally flow from that, that he would rule over, you know, how we conduct our affairs, mm -hmm. how we set up our political system, how we deal with crime and punishment, all of these things. Like, why wouldn't that fall under those categories of lordship? Yeah. Yeah. And I think another thing people miss, too, is they, they spiritualize his reign, whatever that means. Uh, but the problem, there's, a, there's several problems with that. One of it is um, God has always reigned. 
Like, it's not as though Jesus Christ is establishing God's rule is because it never existed. So, God is in the heavens and he reigns. And um, God is the, the ruler by virtue of being the creator of all things. And so, um, when Jesus, is, when, when the Messiah is going to sit on the throne of David, we can't say that's just a spiritual thing because that already existed. Mm. God already possesses that authority. The whole point of the incarnation in Jesus' life, it says in Colossians 1, is that he would be preeminent. That's the purpose of the resurrection. Well, that can't mean because he wasn't, right? That's a her heresy to say that the eternal son of God, being God, did not possess ultimate authority and preeminence. He did. But he wasn't received as such, that that rule was rejected in history by men. Mm -hmm. So, the purpose of David's throne being established is on the earth. Like, the throne in heaven is already there. God is already reigning. Like, like if he just came down and said something and left and then the throne's up there and not here, there's no point. That was already the case. The whole anticipation of the Davidic king is not that God would all of a sudden become king, but that he would express and manifest his rule in history. Right. Thy will be done on earth as as it is in heaven, right? Yeah. The the kingdom of God in heaven is a perfect, perfectly ruled kingdom. Yeah. And we want that on earth as well. Yes. Right? And this is what Anna, and this is what, um, who else? Yes. This is what they were expecting. They weren't sitting there praying for decades, hoping that God would somewhere reign. They were hoping and praying that God would send someone here to reign, right? And mm-hmm. then that's what they saw in this child, that that in this child, um, mm-hmm. God is doing that. And it's interesting that he uses, the, the word used is the consolation of Israel. Yes. Um, and the the consolation is that in a world of tyranny, mm-hmm. of self-styled autocrats and um, even the class of the Pharisees mm-hmm. that put burdens, that put burdens on people without mm-hmm. trying to lift them with a finger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the reign of Christ was not being uh, dreaded. There was no dread mm-hmm. involved in the Christ, the, the, the coming of Christ, right? He was going to come and and be that kind of ruler mm-hmm, that would come that, mm-hmm. that would come not to be served but to give his life mm-hmm. as a sacrifice for many a completely uh, foreign kind of rule not yes. only in its breadth but in the nature of it right that even the um, the poor the smoking flax mm-hmm. the, the 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 crushed they would be the ones raised up again right. Mm-hmm. And his, I mean, in the Bible, authority and responsibility always correspond. So if he has ultimate authority, he will bear ultimate responsibility. And that's what the, that's what his death and resurrection was. That he was taking upon himself, though he was without sin, he was taking upon himself the burden of other people's sins, which is to say ultimate responsibility. So he didn't even do this. And we actually did. But the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. It's the ultimate burden of responsibility, the death of Jesus Christ in the place of sinners. And because of that is the logic of, of Paul in Philippians. He has been given, exalted to the right hand of God. He's been given the name above all names. So the name of Jesus Christ, every every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right? So 
we need to make the connection between his humiliation, his bearing responsibility, and his exaltation. And uh, another fascinating thing about the incarnation, as it relates to his authority and the rulers of the world, in multiple points in the Bible, um, God demonstrates his power uh, by by working through weakness. I mean, my my powers made per- my grace is efficient for you. My powers made perfect in weakness. He tells Paul, but this is a thread all throughout the Bible. Yeah. We think about Gideon, right? It's like too many people. We think about Israel itself. It's like Israel's mm-hmm. big in our mind. If you've read the Bible, it's like in the ancient world, the Bible is a different take on history. Like, if you don't read your Bible, your take on history is not like the Jews. Your take on history is Alexander the Great, is the Babylonians, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, that's that's history. But the tale of history in scripture is like that woman from an obscure town in the middle of the Middle East that no one knows about. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, even even Jesus shows up and is like, isn't that the carpenter's son? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, even even um, uh, sorry Ben no, even no, no, no. even the uh, the preference to the second born right that that you see in uh, so Esau and Jacob yeah or um, yes between Ishmael and Isaac yes uh, it's like no it's not always the strong right it's yeah. not always yeah. the uh, David King David, David right yes. I mean so yeah so many of those uh, pop up in that way. yeah and it's it's. The wise of this age have not understood it. No, right? it's like this subversive demonstration of power. It's it is the nature of the kingdom of God, and it and it it actually magnifies the power of God yeah. in a much more intricate and uh, and um, undeniable way than just the raw exercise of power. Yeah, it's like if if you hear someone play. A beautiful piece of music on a, a an expensive cello, you know, we 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 uh, we applaud and and that person's very skilled and that's a wonderful thing. But if 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 we uh, hear the same person play a beautiful piece of music on like a child's entry level cello, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that that demonstrates mastery. And and power and mm-hmm. skill to a much more exponential degree, right? And that mm-hmm. is the nature of, of the kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. That he's using people like us. Mm-hmm. He's using the spectacle of a child in a manger, on the run, um, because because that brings glory to God in a much mm-hmm. in a much more poignant way, right? Mm. Well, it's it it goes even further to say that he uses the power of the powerful against them. Right. Yeah. So you were, I think you were referencing, it says in 1 Corinthians 2, none of the rulers of this age understood it. This, that is the secret and hidden wisdom of God. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So one, the rulers of this world understand the um, conflict that this child brings and the claims of this child. Two, the exercise of their rule in wicked ways, namely the crucifixion of the Son of God, was used to actually bring about his rule. 
And the same kind of ideas in Colossians as well about how he triumphed over the rulers and authorities, the demonic rulers and Put authorities. Put them to open shame. Put them to open shame. Yeah. How? On the cross. Yeah. So yeah. what Satan thought he was doing to bring about the destruction of the kingdom of God was actually being used to establish yeah. the kingdom of God. He catches the wise in their craftiness. Exactly. Yeah. So there's no. it's like there's no competition. Because if you throw your best shot, all it does is work for me. Like this isn't even a back and forth why I'm better than you. It's like your best shot actually works in my favor. Yeah. And and there needs to be a, you know, we need to see these themes because they're actually very obvious. Like this, this goes way beyond pointing to Herod in the narrative. It's like, no, no, we need to think clearly about governance and rule and authority. And what does this child have to do with that? And um and also, we, it helps us to understand the conflict that we're presently in. We don't wage war. Uh, we, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principali- principalities and authorities. And there's a spiritual war. Like abortion is a spiritual war. And, um, you know, the, the, the quest for power, uh, corrupt power to do corrupt and evil things is... Beneath that is a spiritual battle, a raging against the ultimate ruler, who is Jesus Christ. And Christmas is 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 you know the beginning of the real resistance, mm. and we are part of that resistance, mm. but only because Christmas is actually true, right? Yeah. So I mean, there's there's a lot that we could say on that, but. Maybe one practical, hopeful thing is um, one of the implications of all this is like God will establish his, he has established his kingdom and he will bring it to completion. And that's one of the most obvious messages from the incarnation. When you read about all of the references from the angels' songs and the testimony in the first couple chapters of Luke and Matthew, the whole point is remember all that stuff four, five, six, eight thousand years yeah. ago? It, it's happening now. Yeah. And despite your unfaithfulness, despite their power, despite the world in existence and the, the, the fragility of human existence in the fallen world, all of it working against you, none of that has stopped me. You know, I said in Genesis 3 that this would happen and this did happen mm. exactly the way that I said it would. And, and as Christians, we should be singing, we should be rejoicing, we should be feasting because we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Like a baby arrived and that's how this thing started, yeah. you know, like God's purposes cannot be undone. And as dark and as bleak as things appear, the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness cannot cannot overcome it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we we need a recovery of that um, cosmic dynamic because otherwise it becomes a battle of um, numbers. Yeah. Right? Like us against them. Will we, um, is there enough of us? Do we have enough money? Do we have enough resources? Do we have enough eloquence? Yeah. It's just like, Objectively not, yes. like on any scale, yeah. like from a human perspective. Um, but that's that's not mm-hmm. that's the story. That's like the B. That's like the B subplot. It's not even. It's not the main thing. It's not even important thing. Uh, the story is being accomplished, and it's has been accomplished before the foundation of the world. 
Yes. Right? And it's and it's in no doubt. And as soon as we lose that, I'm sure we can all testify, as soon as w- whatever it is, a trial, a suffering, and, and it becomes our whole world uh, shrinks to this little thing and we lose the... Um, the broader context, well, then immediately discouragement starts yeah. in, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, we should be able to, like, literally, it could just be us three, and we should read our Bibles and just look at the entire world, like six, eight billion, whatever it is, and just have a smile and be like, we're going to win. <laughs> we got them just where we, we want them. We got them just where we yeah. want them. <laughs> yeah, and it's not triumphalism. No. Which is how that will be conveyed by some right or portrayed it's just like oh you guys like we don't win down here right yeah yeah heard that before it's yeah like, yeah but but christ wins yeah of down course. here and up there yeah yeah and the yeah, whole we, thing is transformed into a new heaven a new earth. Well, what happens when there's massive um persecution and martyrdom and stuff like the church grows yeah that's just the fact of history yeah uh, so god uses that and uh, you mentioned gideon earlier like the whole the whole point was, no, your army's too big. Yeah. Right? You need to make your army smaller so that you don't think that it was because of your might that this went the right way. Yeah. And so there's a there's a sense of God. God, A, wants to, to magnify his own glory. Yeah. And he wants us to humble ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I think we, we ought to be like David, right? Who shows up to camp and everyone's trembling and he's just like, who is this dog? You know what I mean? Like, who who is this guy? Like, why is no one out there? Yeah. And he puts on the armor. He's just like, this is way too heavy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I've got a stone. And and when you become familiar with the story, you can miss the entire point and be like, whoa, that was impressive of David. It's like, no, that was impossible of David. Yeah. The point dare is to, to be a David. <laughs> dare yeah. to be a David. Dare to be a Daniel. But same thing. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. The point is David had faith. He had faith in yeah. the God of Israel. And, and that, yeah, and that God would be with him, and he was forced into a position where there was no other possible narrative to yeah. take. Right? Yeah. yeah, it wasn't like it was like touch and go. Maybe David will do this. It no. was just like there were there was no other explanation. Yeah, no. The the the, the point of application is not like a sling beats a sword any yeah. day, <laughs> right? No, it's it's the, like this guy defied the armies of the living God. Yeah, I mean that's he's like God's gonna win, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And and you're right. There shouldn't be. Sometimes there can be a um, a worldly triumphalism that thinks about winning and losing in worldly ways, which is to say, we're going to win because we'll get the money, we'll get the numbers, yeah. we'll get the influence. And it's yeah. like, okay, God may grant success, and we definitely pray for the gospel to bear fruit and have influence all over the place. But you know that we could win even if it looks like losing. So it's neither we win in a a worldly way or we just lose. Those are both wrong. Mm -hmm. It's like we may lose in the, in the short term in the sense that we go to prison and we get, you know, taken off the air and we're persecuted and it's legal to counsel people in biblical ways and et cetera, et cetera. But that's not really losing. Like we know in all of these things, God works for our good. All these things are more than conquerors. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. We're more than conquerors. So like there should be a conquering mindset of Christians. It's just not a worldly one. But do we not look at at the birth of Jesus Christ and like, who's Herod? 
Like, who's Herod? You know what I mean? Like, as much as you try to cancel Jesus and, you know, BCE and all that stuff, it's like, Jesus' name will be remembered forever, yeah. no matter what you do. And Herod got eaten it's, by worms. This is it. I was yeah, just exactly. thinking of that passage. <laughs> the voice of a God and not a man. And then the next the next line, he's just, yeah, he's and really the, decaying from the inside. And the only reason anyone knows that guy's name now is because of the Bible. Yeah. That's right, man. And, the, and like history is just full of these great men who are nothing, who are dust and vapor, but the name of Jesus will will continue and he will reign. So it's like... We need to we need to have a Christmas mindset. We need to have a conquering mindset in a biblical sense all the time. And I think the church calendar is helpful in directing us to particular biblical truths. Mm-hmm. That should that we live in space and time. We can't think of everything at once. And and so it's like it's okay that, you know, at this time of year we think about this and this. And we need to recover that. Yeah. But we need to not relegate those things there. Yeah. Like, just like, you can't just think about death on Good Friday and the resurrection on Easter Sunday, obviously. Well, you can't you can't sing Christmas carols. Like, our best hymns are Christmas carols, mm-hmm. in my view. The best hymns of the church. If you took the best Christmas carols, you could add, like, 10, 10 other ones, and you've got the best hymns across the church in the last 2,000 years. It's like, well, we need to... We need to sing those more often, you know. This whole like, well, can you can you sing Christmas carols, you know, before November thirtieth, or it's like, sure, yeah, I sing them all year round. Yeah, well, we should. Yeah, yeah, or the Messiah, you know, yeah. the the Messiah. I've been listening to that a lot. Mm. Let because, all mortal flesh keep silence. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's what I wanted to say. That's that was it. my encouragement. So what maybe are some practical things that we can do to live in light of this. We started Christmas early this year in my home. Uh, we started preaching a bit early. We always miss our Advent series is always like a week short. We're like, oh, it's Advent. Um, so this year <laughs> we did a week extra. Yeah. And I'm just taking a little bit more time to go through um, Isaiah 9. Nice. And uh, But the reason we did it, I messaged the guys and they agreed like, it, it felt like a bit of a dark year in some ways. And I think just heavy things in the church and whatever. It's like, yeah, we need to focus on the fact that the light has come. And we just felt personally in our lives and our families, like we want the light of Christ to be brighter right now than it presently is in our own experience. And so that's what we did. But um, I think an intentional Advent season in the home is so helpful Right. And whatever you do for that, you're playing Christmas music. We do, Rebecca has like a advent calendar, I think, where basically every day there's like a something different we do. And they're just little things. Like sometimes we do a craft or, you know, you, they bake something or, you know, we, we get some takeout or whatever it is. It's just to teach our children that the happiest thing in our life is the fact that the Son of God came into the world to save sinners. Like, there's there's nothing else we're happier about. Mm. As much as other things make us happier, like, Christmas makes us the happiest, because Christ makes us the happiest. One, yeah. one thing that um, I haven't actually landed on an execution of this yet, but I'm increasingly thinking about is the need for... Um, extended... 
like having rhythms of celebration and remembrance yeah. that are more than just a day. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like ad that that is what Advent is, right? Yeah. This is a particular season. But it's interesting that, you know, in the Old Testament, the the various festivals, these were these were days and weeks long where you would you would intentionally take time to remember a specific thing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't accidental that they were multiple days long mm-hmm. because you need that time to like um, set your mind on things, mm. and and we and especially in a society such as ours where we're bombarded moment by moment by notifications and noise and all kinds of things, right? And it's like, okay, Christmas Day, right? Everything builds up to this day, and yeah. then it's like it's over. And um, but what it's if it was over. like several days of like. <laughs> intentional remembering yeah. and reading and and like how would that nourish our souls right? yeah um now i understand in, in kind of this society it's 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 hard for many people to get several days off or wh- whatever it is but it's like and actually peter hitchens uh, wrote an article in, in the daily mail last week and and he was talking about how we need uh if we if we're talking about actually fixing our society we need a total renovation. It's mm. not just about reorganizing the work week. It's not just about uh, having one or two days off. Of, like It's like, you no, know, the whole posture of our, the way we do things, our infrastructure needs to be reoriented, right? Mm. And I think that's, that's part of it, right? Mm. It's just like, you can do little things, but sometimes you just, maybe you need to do a big thing. Maybe you just need to yeah. have a four day feast without it being like hedonism, and like revelry, mm-hmm. but just like this whole time, all we're doing is remembering the incarnation yeah. and what that means. Yeah. And yeah. that's not a waste of time. That's not indolence. That's yeah. like maybe the most humanizing thing yeah. we could do. And th- this was commanded in the Old Testament, yeah. like you said, and it was not only the, uh, you know, Yom Kippur and the Feast of Booths yeah. and uh, not only those, but... Um, Every every male was supposed to go up what three times a year to Jerusalem, and the command was to bring money with you so that you could buy food and drink and celebrate and feast with your family when you got there. Yeah, like there was a commandment for that. I, I forget exactly how it worked out, but uh, you know, if you can't travel with your goods, uh, convert it to money and then buy the goods when you get there so you can have a party. Like. Yeah, you know, and not not saying party in the in the hedonistic sense, like like you're mentioning there, but um, yeah, th- this was a command, and I think I think we could recover that for sure. I think it's just like there's almost this guilt attached to like, oh, we all, we'll have a day, but that's it, no more than that. Like it's just like, I think if we look back into the historical Christian calendar, um, like I was even reading into during the Reformation, like the reformers got rid of certain liturgical seasons, like Lent, for example. Um, but they they maintained a number of other um, uh, seasons and, hmm. um, you know, weeks of, of remembrance and celebration. It was still, during the medieval time, very much a... those kind of rhythms, hmm. right? Several days and maybe a yeah. week of, of remembrance and I don't celebration. Know, and I don't know if that's possible to recover that with an unhealthy view of work like we have. 
well, this is it. And this this is, is part of the total renovation that needs to happen. But the, the odd thing is, like, we're, like, in one sense, we're productive, but we're not hard workers. Like, mm. uh, in general, I think Canadians are not hard workers, but we still prioritize it in an unhealthy way, and I can't quite wrap my head around it. Whereas, like, yeah, I can't just sit around and do nothing. I got to go to work. But well, then you go to work, and, and it's I, like, and what I, are you working for? You're that's not, right. And I th I think it goes along with our total loss of... Um, well, purpose. Purpose, yeah. and what, what, uh, what do we call it? The um, the underlying nature of things. Worldview? Yeah, but the... Um, uh, sacramental oh. worldview, yeah. right? right? Where none of these things mean anything yeah, beyond yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the grind of what they are. Right. Yeah. Work, work doesn't mean anything. I work so Marriage I doesn't money. mean anything. Eating doesn't mean anything. So we've lived these, we're living these barren lives that don't mean anything. That's, that's what you get from nihilism, right? Yeah. Well, and, and this is good because what part of the function of scripture is to reorient us to what the meaning of things is. Yes. Because you, with your eyes, you don't see it. Yep. With your eyes, you can see a lot. And wisdom and the Proverbs tells us, like, that's why Jordan Peterson can say profoundly true things, because the world is such a way, and we do have a measure of capacity to comprehend it. But there's but we can't understand everything. Just like my eyeballs can't actually see cellular functions. I actually can't see the meaning of food. I can't yeah. actually see the meaning of a baby mm. to a virgin. I can't see the meaning of that. The Word of God has to explain that to me. But one of the consequences of this is that the Word reorients our not only our focus and our pri our priorities um, in light of that. So with with Christmas, like I said, if you were to look at history, if we were to take all the data of history, we wouldn't get the Luke account. We wouldn't get the Matthew account. Mm -hmm. We would get millions and millions and millions of scrolls. It's like if they even said about Jesus, if everything he did was written down, like it'd fill all the, the books of the world or yeah. the scroll, whatever yeah. he said. There's too much data. And what the Bible does is it says like, no, no, this is what history, this is what actually is important in history. This is what you should be focusing on. There's a million things you could see in your own experience, in your own day. You certainly can't see anything beyond your, we can't even understand like what you did in your day. I have to focus on what I do in my day. I can't also take on your experience and then try to think about what that means about life and history. Well, this is what scripture does. It says, like, there's a thousand things you could focus on and you could try to derive meaning from, but you need to look at that child. And that child, I'm telling you, through my word, is a fulfillment of this. And this is what that child means. And that's who that child is. And this is what that child will do. Part of what things like celebrating Christmas do is it orients us to what's actually important. Yeah. And I think that kind of what I'm realizing is that we need to have um, more of our life needs to be oriented towards the truths of the incarnation. Yeah. And it's so easy to become dour and discouraged. Yeah. And, you know, then we need to pick me up of Christmas, but then we go into an alternate reality. And it's like, no, no, the Jesus came and everything changed. And the things that you sing about, and the causes for rejoicing and the joy that you experience at Christmas, um, that should remain all year. Now, not that there are moments of sorrow, but sorrowful yet always rejoicing, right? There's a pattern that Paul has and uh, laid out in the Bible. And I know for my life, that isn't the pattern. You know, it's, it's more one or the other. Yeah. Like, and part of that is the physical rearrangement of life. Yeah, for sure. Where it's, it's not just like, oh, I need to... 
ascend in my mental state to yeah. a different philosophical posture, yeah. right? It's yeah. like, yes, you need to renew your mind. Mm-hmm. And the Bible, uh, it encourages that, right? Uh, mm-hmm. tra- being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm-hmm. But, but parallel to the renewal of your mind is the actual exercise of your body. Well, you're being transformed. What you do, yes, be you're being trans- <laughs> And that filters out, like you said, through your fingertips, right? Mm-hmm. It goes out into all your life. But the, there should be an alignment, but there should be a resonance between those two things, right? It's not just a matter of changing thought patterns. Mm-hmm. It's like, what can you rearrange in your life to uh, cement these sacramental realities, yeah. right? Well, meet together, right? Even the yes, Christian yes. community is... Yep. Part of the purpose of Christian fellowship is to maintain a Christmas spirit all year mm. round. It's to say, like, in my own strength and awareness of things, I I don't I don't have hope. I don't have encouragement. But through the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Like that's a physical thing. Like it's not just think about it, it's like sing, mm. rejoice. You know, tell the word, preach the word, teach the word, share the word, encourage one another, eat together, pray together. Like they're rituals and habits that are meant to be a reflection of our priorities. But but they also build our priorities, is what you're yes, saying. Yes, that's like right. they don't just reflect them. It's like if you never sing, then you're not prioritizing the thing that you should be rejoicing in. But when you do sing, you actually begin to prioritize it more. And yeah. all of a sudden, it's like the things you were thinking about, you're not thinking about them because you're thinking about this. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so, when you make mm. when you make a distinction there and you prioritize one or the other, the other side will decay. A hundred percent. Yeah. Mm. Both need to be present. Uh, I think keeping this in mind all year round is is really important, and it seems like that's kind of like the message of of Christ without His coming is meaningless. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, like uh, I'm thinking of uh, the, the confession in First Timothy. Right? Great indeed, we confess is the mystery, mystery of godliness manifest in the flesh. Like it's the beginning of all these creeds. Is yes, that He was born of the Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. Like that's you can't separate. It's not like we celebrate the resurrection and his crucifixion and our and our justification all year long, but why do we do that and not remember that he had to first be born mm-hmm. uh, in order to live a righteous life and, and fulfill all godliness and all sorts of mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think keeping that as a whole a whole idea in our minds constantly mm-hmm. is a good idea. And the biblical response is incarnation in the gospel accounts is rejoicing. <laughs> like like singing, you know, the angels show up singing. It's an explosion of joy in the world. It's it's not, it's a different kind of response. And yes, there's mourning, but then it's like, why are you mourning? <laughs> why are you so sullen? Where are you going? It's like, well, the guy we've been following around is dead. It's like, what? Didn't you know this is what had to happen? Like, yeah. even in that, it's like, okay, but that's temporal because I've risen. And now you need to go about singing and rejoicing. And I think that that joy ought to characterize, I know for me, um, my life way more than it does. And it actually takes faith. Like unbelief is not rejoicing. Unbelief is inherently pessimistic. Mm. Because you're not wrong. You're not wrong in the sense that what you are upset about or discouraged by, it's not that it's not real. It is real. But it takes faith to see the things that are more real. It's not the whole story. It's not the whole story. And it takes faith to see that. And, 
Yeah. Those who are with us are greater than those who are with them, right? Because mm. that mm. vision of uh, Elisha, yeah. uh, where his servant can't see all the angels that are on their side. Mm-hmm. He's only seeing the with his physical eyes. Yeah. Yes. That's good. Yeah. i uh been listening to the conversation. I haven't had a chance to think about what to read as a closer. I mean, but why don't we why don't we read Isaiah nine? We could read Isaiah nine, or we could go to Revelation. Yeah, fourteen. Is it fourteen? From from Messiah that uh, that he uses. Where's that? I should know this. Teacher, teach thyself. Yeah, yeah. Teacher, teach thyself. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see if I can find it. <laughs> see, do a sword drill here. Right, talk uh, amongst where's yourselves. Where's Revelation again? <laughs> Revelations. Revelations. <laughs> oh, I'm not gonna be able to find it, but uh, yeah, let's go to Isaiah nine then. I was gonna read that uh, great passage that Handel used for um, for the Hallelujah chorus: "The kingdoms mm-hmm. of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of mm-hmm. His Christ." But we can read Isaiah nine instead, uh, verse uh, six, and it's part of seven. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We'll see you next time on the Dominion Podcast. Mm -hmm.